Welcome to another episode of Exploring the Seasons of Life, a podcast for women with a big heart on a spiritual journey. My name is Cindy McMillan. Do you ever feel like you're waiting on a permission slip to live the life you want? If you answered yes, then you're in the right spot. Each week, I interview coaches and spiritual explorers from all walks of life about beginnings, endings, and the messy bits in between. Self-love, well-being, and mindset are at the heart of our conversations because once you change the inside, the outside will begin to change as well. In this episode of Exploring the Seasons of Life, we are chatting about self-care for our finances and being intentional, and my guest is Tess Zigo. Tess obtained her BS in finance from Northern Illinois University and later returned to get her MAS in accounting science and her CPA after the company she worked for filed for bankruptcy during the 2008 recession. That experience taught her a valuable lesson in being aware of concentration risk since her 401k match was in company stock. You're going to love this episode, and I personally can't wait to talk to Tess, so let's get to it. Welcome to the show, Tess. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Cindy, for having me. Glad to be on. Well, I'm really, you know, I'm doing a self-care series Uh and it's, you know, self-care is more than a buzzword. It's personal. Uh And so when we're going to be talking about our finances, that's really personal. Absolutely is. (laughs) Well, I wanted to mention, I saw on your website You grew up in Bulgaria and Eastern Europe. You lived in Botswana, Africa, and immigrated to the United States in 2002. So I know those experiences must have really, you know, influenced your life. But I just wanted to say, I lived in Johannesburg, South Africa, and it's about 221 miles Uh to Gaborone, Botswana. So we were almost neighbors back in the day. Amazing. It's such a small world, Cindy, isn't it? And I love hearing these stories. Yeah, it absolutely is. Well, one of the things I wanted to just mention before we get started is I was reading an article and it said, Sex and money consistently rank as the top two reasons why couples fight. Uh And according to almost every survey, money ranked as the number one reason people would fight, you know, for married couples. So I'm really excited just to dig into all of this. Uh Yes. Uh, You know, I work with a lot of divorcees, unfortunately, as you're bringing up this topic And so it brings about all the memories and all the stories I've heard of, you know, women who haven't unfortunately handled the money during the marriage and then after the divorce are forced to. And so I always encourage women, whether you're a stay-at-home mom or you're a working parent, to get involved because you deserve a seat at the table, whether you work or you work at home, because working at home is work as well, Cindy, right? (laughs) It absolutely is. Yes. So we all need to be aware of our finances as a family because it's a partnership, right? Marriage is a partnership and you deserve to understand how much your household makes, how much you spend 
and what assets you have. So you, you, you get a clear picture of exactly where your family is financially. And I do think that is self-care. It's a form of self-care. You know, Tess, I was just going to mention that you tend to think of, you know, older generations, maybe our grandmothers who weren't really involved in the finances. Sure. But the women, I there's a lot of women I talk to today that are in that same situation. Yeah. You mean they're divorcees? Well, not only divorcees, but they don't really understand where the money is going. Sure, sure. Yes. You know, I, I've i been involved a lot more with mom Facebook groups just because it's such a great community. And it, it's always nice to hear other moms experiences because you feel you feel like you're not alone. Right. We're all experiencing very similar difficulties and situations. Um and it's just, you know, it breaks my heart, quite frankly, every time I, re- I read a post um, from a stay-at-home mom who doesn't understand the finances. And oftentimes there is financial abuse. So the husband is not being forthcoming. He's not sharing the details. He's hiding things. He's, you know, unwilling to get the wife's name on the financial assets oftentimes. And really, it just breaks my heart because that is not how a marriage should function, in my opinion. It, it should truly be a partnership, you know, and communication is a big part of that. And you should be forthcoming about the financial situation, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I would and maybe that will go right into this next um, question that I really wanted to ask you. Um, and that was what got you interested and becoming a financial advisor. Sure, sure. Um, so I want to say that it was a straight line journey, a straight line journey, but it, it wasn't. It definitely had its twists and turns for me to find this career, which which I love because I say that this was my passion project that I actually was able to turn into a career. Um, but I, I, I will say, you know, all your experiences in life, I feel compound to help you become the person that you're meant to be, right? And so I was lucky because I grew up in a family where my mom was amazing. She is, <laughs> she's my biggest role model because I grew up in a family where my mom worked so many different jobs. She was just an incredible woman. She is an incredible woman to this day. Um, so both her and my dad worked. And they openly discussed money at the table. So in our culture back in Eastern Europe, money was not a taboo like it is here in the U.S., right? So everybody openly discussed it when we would have dinner parties. You know, all their friends would be talking about who makes how much and their financial struggles. And so, you know, from a young age, as a child, money was just such a a normal topic for me. It was very normalized. Um, And then growing up, you know, I came to the States to study finance as a 16 year old. Quite frankly, I didn't know what I wanted to do at that point. I was so young. I really had no clue. (laughs) But I was really good in the finance classes. And I loved learning about compound interest, which might sound a little boring. I'm a little nerd. But, uh, you know, the fact that you could invest small amounts at a young age and have that money compound into big sums of money to where you could be financially secure one day. um, To me, that was 
incredible because, you know, I came from a family where we didn't have a lot of money. We grew up under communism. And so even though my dad was a surgeon, we really, you know, we were lower middle class is what I would call it. Um, So I did not come from a wealthy family. So the fact that I could become wealthy one day to me was just very eye-opening. And so, you know, I got into finance and I spent some time in corporate finance, which was a good learning experience, but I really love helping people and working with people one-on-one in a coaching capacity. And so that's when I discovered that, you know, there was a profession called financial advising, which I wasn't familiar with. (laughs) Um, And I think, you know, there's still this myth that financial advisors are for the wealthy You have to be wealthy in order to work with a financial advisor. And that is just not the case anymore. Um, I'm a certified financial planner, and I actually love working with people who are just getting started. So they're getting, you know, that first professional job and they're like, wow, I don't know what to do with this six figure income. How am I supposed to, you know, put it to work and make smart decisions? You know, Tess, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I think that is a common thought that you have to make a lot of money or come from a wealthy family to work with a financial advisor. Yes. And it's just, it is not the case. And, and I'm so glad that, you know, I I can make a difference in, in the life of just regular folks like me. (laughs) Yeah, and I just wanted to mention as well, or I'm going to ask the question, when you're choosing a financial advisor, Mm -hmm. what should you be looking for? That's such a great question. Um, So, Cindy, um, I think the, the first and most important thing that people have to realize is that a lot of life insurance agents, for example, can call themselves a financial advisor, okay? So the title of the person is not as important as the credentials and the education. So that is really for you as the consumer to be educated on and to look at the person's credentials and education. And the certified financial planner is the gold standard in the industry. Only 20%, roughly 20% of advisors have the CFP. And it's basically an education and experience program that you go through. So you understand comprehensive financial planning, because it's not just investing, right? When it comes to your personal finance, there's different areas that we have to understand from investing to insurance, to taxes, to cash flow management. So at least when you pick a CFP professional, you know that that person has the education and the experience and they've passed a rigorous exam and they're held to a fiduciary standard. So they have to put your best interest ahead of their own financial gain. Thank you so much for explaining that. Cause I always, cause I have not ever worked with a financial advisor, sure. you know? So, yeah. cause I think I was one of those people who thought you had to be wealthy to work with one. That's why I'm loving this conversation. That And yeah, isn't it such a shame? And I think as an industry, we have to do better and we have to really, get people over that hump to say, you don't have to wait until, you know, an X point in time when you have X dollars saved, you can go seek help today where you are. 
All right. Thank you. Thank you very much for explaining that. What what I really want to jump into is we're going to be talking about self-care and finances. Maybe can you give, I don't know, three or four tips for financial self-care and specifically in regards to women, because this podcast mainly is listened to by women? Absolutely. So I think my, my most important tip would be be intentional with your money and make time to look at your finances, okay? So I'll give you an example. I have a girlfriend. We went to college together. She actually introduced me to my husband. So <laughs> frankly, I owe her a lot. Um, but she grew up in a family where, you know, the husband, the father handled the money And for some reason in their culture, he just told her that she wasn't good with money and she doesn't have to worry about it. She's not good at math. The husband will take care of it, right? And so unfortunately, I see this a lot. You know, different women have different beliefs from when they were young, the things they were told. And so they just find the whole topic of finances intimidating, right? Or they feel like they're not good at it. And I'm here to tell you, that personal finances is not rocket science. You can absolutely do it and you can handle it. I promise you it is not that hard. Um, And you just have to make time for it like anything else, right? And you just have to build a comfort level with your finances. So start small. Start with, you know, just looking at your spending on a monthly basis to understand, oh, this is where my money is going. This is how I'm spending my money, right? Um, and make sure you have an emergency savings. That's one of the most foundational things we absolutely want to have in place. And the reason that is so important is because things always happen in life, right? Unexpected things come up, your car breaks down, your roof blows over, (laughs) your AC goes out, right, Cindy? Yes. Too funny. And so you need to have a good three to six months worth of cash reserves in order to handle those emergencies. Because what happens otherwise, right, is you have to use a credit card, the the evil credit card in your wallet. Um, And as much as I love credit cards when used responsibly and paid off in full, people don't realize because, you know, unless you're a finance major, they don't teach you about how credit cards work. Um, your credit card comes with a steep interest rate. And so if you're putting every emergency on a credit card, you're starting to dig yourself into a hole. And it's very difficult to dig yourself out of that kind of debt because it's high interest and it starts to compound very quickly on you. So it just balloons out of control. Okay. So those are like the most important, the two foundational things I would say, have an emergency savings account and start to get an understanding of your money. This is how much is coming in. This is how much is going out, because then you can actually start to make changes if you need to make changes. Are you a fan of the credit cards, 0% interest if you pay it all off in 12 months? Um, You know, I am a fan of it. For example, when we bought our first home, um, this was eight years ago now. (laughs) Um, So me and my husband wanted to do some renovations. And we also had to buy a whole bunch of appliances, right? 
And so we didn't have the money for it right off the bat, but we knew that we could pay it off in full over the 12 months before they hit us with the 30% APR. So if you can, you know, pay it off over that 12 month period without an issue and it will help your cash flow and your financial situation. Yes. But you know, if it's one of those things where 12 months goes by and you're like, Oh, I still haven't paid this off. That's when it's going to bite you. So you have to be careful. And I want all of our listeners to just listen to what Tess just said, because I know so many people Mm -hmm. that have done that and it turned around to bite them because they couldn't pay it off in a year. Right. Right. And you know, Cindy, I think one of, one of the things that has helped me tremendously in my life is that I come from Eastern Europe again, where, well, we're a little behind. So we didn't have credit when I was growing up. There was no such thing as credit cards. Okay. You either had the cash to pay for something or you didn't. And I think, you know, I think that's really lacking in our society um, to our detriment because, you know, just because you can put it on a credit card doesn't mean it's a good idea, right? So I always say the only time you should put it on a credit card is if you can pay it off. So I only put things on a credit card if I can pay it off by the end of that month. And if I can't, it means I can't afford it. So I need to start saving for whatever that thing is. Um, And then the next question really I ask myself is, do I really need that item, right? What is the purpose of this item? And if I can't afford it, you know, either I save for it or I put it on the back burner. You know, I, I just have to just tell this story because it's very similar to what you were just saying. Mm-hmm. My ex-husband and I, and I'm going back many years ago, um, we we bought a house mm-hmm. and we were in the home and I wanted, we had a formal life, um, living room and a den. Sure. And I had furniture for the den, but not the formal yeah. dining, um, excuse me, living room. And I said, well, why don't we just put it on a credit card? Mm-hmm. And he was from England and he was absolutely, no, if you don't have the cash, that means we can't afford it. Right. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, he's so cheap. <laughs> but I saved up and I bought that furniture and that was one of the most rewarding lessons for me. <laughs> Saving up for what you for, for what you need. Yes. Well, thank you for sharing that story. I absolutely love it. And I think, Cindy, uh, you know, one thing that we have forgotten as a society is that, um, and this is according to research, I'm literally not making this up. So they have done happiness surveys and they realize now that the anticipation of purchasing something nice or going on a nice vacation actually brings you more joy than the actual experience of it, which I think is crazy, but it goes back to that point that you just made about saving for the furniture, right? Because that whole time you were saving and anticipating finally having that furniture. And every time I walked into that room, to be quite honest with you, I would look at the furniture and go, I saved for this. I saved for this. I was really proud of myself. Absolutely. It's quite an achievement. And so I think, you know, I think it's okay to sometimes 
delay gratification, right? It doesn't all have to be instant, which we're so used to in our society because we can buy something on Amazon and it gets delivered to us. What is it within the next, you know, 24 hours? It's crazy. (laughs) Well, Tess, in the same vein, how do we, how do we save Mm -hmm. and enjoy our life? Yeah. How do we save and enjoy our life? I mean, Cindy, you are, you're asking the million dollar question. Um, (laughs) And I, I, I think I think there's many different parts to that question, right? So I think the first thing is that we have to we have to want to save for the future. And I have read so many studies that show um, it's very difficult for us humans to think about a future point and save for the future psychologically. Because that feels so far removed from the person that we are today. And so it actually, they say, psychologically feels painful for a lot of people to put, to put money into a savings account. Think about, you know, your 401k that you know you can't touch until you're 59 and a half or really any other retirement account. Because you think to yourself, oh, geez, you know, I'm saving $1,000 into this retirement account. And I can't touch it until, you know, 30 years from now and I'm feeling the pain. I could spend that money on a new iPhone, right, that I need. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, I, I think and what, what the researchers say is you have to picture yourself into that future, you know. Think about 40 years from now. What would that, what would that person wish that you did, Right. So you think you have to think about taking care of your future self because we know that nobody else is going to take care of us, right, 40 years from now. Um, and as a mom, I don't want my kids to be taking care of me 40 years from now. I want them to be taking care of the, themselves and their families one day, right? So we really have to picture that future and we have to take care of that future self. And so I think the desire is the first thing and the motivation we have to want to save for the future. And then the next thing is they say that you have to make it as simple as possible, which is why automatic savings are the way to go when it comes to saving for the future, because you want it to be automated out of sight, out of mind. So there is very little that we actually have to do, right? Because the less we have to do, the more likely it's going to happen. Um, So that's why I'm a big fan of automating savings, pay yourself first, and then pay the bills later. So, you know, right from my first job, when I was in my 20s, I started putting money into my 401k. And when you get started, and when you get used to that money not being available to you to spend, guess what? You just, you know, you get used to it, and that money is going towards your future. And then 15 years later, I sit here talking to you and I look at that statement and I think, oh, gosh, I'm so glad I did that. Right. It didn't honestly, it didn't feel like a big sacrifice at the time because it was small dollar amounts going in. But over a 15 year period, that money compounds and then you really see the fruits of your labor. And so I encourage everyone start small, start where you are, but just make saving and investing automatic. 
Yeah, I've, I know I've worked for companies in the past. They were very good about when it came time for enrollment sure. to talk about it and talk about it and talk yeah. about it and really encourage people to um, to sign up yes. under the 401 right. because not all companies do that. And there's people I know personally that's worked for companies for 15 years mm-hmm. and never gotten involved in the 401 because their company didn't put a high um, price on that. Sure, sure. And and that is such a shame and it's such a missed opportunity because unfortunately, you know, time is your best friend when it comes to investing. So someone who starts in their 20s has a huge advantage to someone who starts in their 30s and, and an even bigger advantage to someone who starts playing catch up in their 40s or 50s, right? Because I tell people money doubles approximately every 10 years if we look at a 7% rate of return. So, you know, you think about the snowball effect, the earlier you get started, the better. And I'm so sorry, can you just repeat that again, what you just said? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, So, Cindy, I'm just referring to the rule of 72. And so if you divide 72 by the expected rate of return when you invest in the market, so I use 7% for simplicity, so we get roughly 10 years. So every 10 years, your money that's invested in the stock market doubles over your lifetime. So, you know, you think about that 20-year-old that's getting started early investing, you know, that money can double in their 30s, and then it doubles again at 40, and then it doubles at 50 again, and then 60. So that's, you know, that's the magic of starting early. Oh, my gosh, Tess, that needs to be said at every graduation ceremony. Yes, I agree with you. (laughs) Absolutely. This is a question that I've been thinking about a lot. And I think you'd be the perfect person to ask. And that is, how important is it to our self-care to take our paid time off? Mm -hmm. Because... Pay time off, you know, our vacations, our, you know, our sick time, whatever it may be, that's part of the salary. And I think here in America, we just work, 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 and we don't want to take our vacation. Yes. Um, So I'm European, so I'm very much, I'm very much a believer in vacation and time off. Uh, because otherwise what happens is you get burnt out um, and then you're just not performing at your highest level. So, you know, that's to your detriment, to your company's detriment. You're doing the opposite of what you think you're trying to achieve. Um, and so, uh, you know, the saying all play, uh, sorry, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. That That always comes to mind because I think really, you know, I love my job, right? I started this business because it's my passion and my hobby. But even I need time off, you know, I need time off to, um, to spend with my family, my kids who are growing up so fast, right in front of my eyes. And so we all need, you know, to take care of ourselves and replenish our own cup. So we can pour into all the other cups in our lives, right? Whether it's work, family, all the other people that need us and rely on us. Thank you. That's just such a great visual. You know, when we take fill our cup, we do Mm -hmm. have so many cups. You know, it's our children, our 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 partners, our our jobs, our 
our hobbies, whatever we're doing, you know. Yes. yes. So, uh, yeah, sorry. I, I, and I was just thinking, you know, you can't pour from an empty cup, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Yeah. So I want to go back now. The name of this podcast is Exploring the Seasons of Life. Mm-hmm. So I always love asking my guests, what does that mean to you in your personal life or in your business? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, I think, I think, Cindy, what it means is you really have to appreciate and enjoy the journey. And we're each on our own journey, I think. And it's very easy to get frustrated with where you're at in life and say to yourself, oh, I'm going to be happy when this one thing happens. Oh, I'm going to be so happy when I get that promotion. Or, you know, if you're going through something rough, I'm going to be so happy when the divorce is over. But, you know, you have to recognize that you learn from every different season in your life, right? whether it's the struggles, but, you know, the struggles do make us stronger. We learn from the struggles in our life as well. So everything is here to teach us a lesson. So I think you just have to, you know, appreciate every lesson from every different season in your life and and try to enjoy it as much as you can. Yes, Tess, because we're, we're just going through season after season after season. I mean, change is a part of life. Yes. Change is the only constant, right? Yes. Yes. Um, I was just going to ask you, what's the one takeaway? Because you have dropped so much wisdom today around our our financial self-care. But thinking about everything, what's the one thing you want our listeners to really get today? Sure. So the one thing that I that I think is so paramount is that you have to believe that you are worthy of being wealthy. Um, And I'm a big believer in affirmations. But you know, I think, I think a lot of us kind of go through life and you know, we have certain beliefs about money, such as, you know, a common one is, oh, rich people are evil, right? And the reality is you can do so much good in the world if you, you know, if you have, if you make good money and if you're wealthy, right? So I think changing, you know, changing that belief system and recognizing that, you know, you deserve to make money. You work hard, you study hard, you absolutely deserve to make money and be wealthy. And, and it's not that hard. And if you need help, you can get help. Yeah, even people who I'm going to say are in the spiritual realm and the spiritual realm of work, you know, I, I think a lot of times one of their um, blocks around money is that spiritual people shouldn't charge uh-huh. for their work. Yeah, but everybody deserves to to live and to make money. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, I I definitely had this block. I'll tell you, Cindy, because. <laughs> So, so here's where I was at seven years ago when I made the career transition. I was in corporate finance. I was making good money. Um, you know, I was able to save. I didn't have any debt. We were not struggling by any means. 
Um, and then I worked with a career coach because I really needed help. I didn't know what I wanted to, to do or to be. Um, and the test result came back for my personality that I should have been a social worker. Okay. And so, you know, from social work, I kind of went into financial advising because I thought, okay, so as a financial advisor, I can still help people. I can make an impact. Um, but I still use my financial knowledge because I didn't want to give that up. I, ha I had studied, I had invested so much time and money into all my degrees and my education. So it was kind of the perfect, you know, fit. Um, but I think because social work is what came back on the personality test, I went into this business not wanting to make money, frankly. <laughs> And, and so that was a block for me because I didn't want to charge for my services or I was charging, you know, the bottom of the bottom price, right? Yes. And so then I really had to kind of work around the, that mindset to, to tell myself, you know what, it's, a, it's okay to actually make money <laughs> uh, because, you know, because then you can do more good both for my family, right? Because I want to help my kids with college you know, I deserve to make money because I put so much into the work that I do. Thank you so much for telling that story. That's one of the things that I love about this podcast is when we're when we're talking and we share those vulnerable moments and those vulnerable stories, they really help other people who may not have ever thought, mm -hmm. oh, I'm, I'm not charging what I should be charging because there's a money block. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> I will tell you that it was, uh, it was definitely difficult to recognize my own money block, right? Because it's hard to look in the mirror and see your own, <laughs> your own faults. It's much easier to help someone else see their, you know, their blocks. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> So Tess, can you tell everyone your website, your social media, how they can reach out to you, how they can work with you? Absolutely, Cindy. Um, so my website is www.truewealthy.com. Um, and on my website, I actually have my calendar. So if you're interested about how we can work together, uh, please feel free to schedule time on my calendar direct. All right. Thank you so much for being a guest. I appreciate this conversation so much. Thank you, Cindy. It's been a real pleasure. I appreciate your time. That brings us to the end of this episode. And thank you to Tess Siegel for joining us. And I sincerely hope the tips Tess shared on financial self-care was beneficial to you. As always, thanks for listening to Exploring the Seasons of Life podcast. Join Dr. Laura Risi and myself live on Zoom Saturday, July 16th at 3 o'clock Eastern for the Essential Oils Made Easy Workshop. And be sure to come back next week for a discussion with Nicole Baker, a coach who helps high achievers ditch perfectionism. Until then, this is Cindy McMillan, and don't forget, live inspired.